Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here today. Anyone at Port Perry, Bowmanville, beyond around the world, thanks so much for joining us again as we continue to dive in through the spiritual gifts. When I came back from growing up in Ecuador, uh, it was somewhere around grade six, grade seven, uh, to our shock and surprise, our teacher announced that, that our class was going to be doing a fashion show for the whole school to raise money. And uh, I wasn't sure what I thought about that until I heard that she'd worked really hard and got all these high-end fashion houses to support us like Roots. And we were like, oh my goodness, Roots. In 1989, that had more power than it does today. Uh, and so we were totally blown away by that. Randy River also, some of you might remember uh, Randy River. If you're a Gen uh, Zetter and you don't know what I'm talking about, it's what you're wearing today. It's the same clothing, basically. And uh, so we were um, really excited by this and we were going to do this. And then we found out that Roots was donating their, their first leather jackets to be worn. So I was like, oh my goodness. And then we found out that Converse was going to sponsor the shoe side of it. And so this was it. And we were told that someone was going to be able to wear the double high cherry red Converse. And so we were like, oh my goodness. So I thought in my grade six head, like this is it. My life is going to be fulfilled. I'm going to wear the jacket and the double high top or cherry red shoes, and everyone will like me, and all my issues will go away, and I'll be popular forever, and all will be right in the world. Now, of course, you know, because I've talked about my therapy story before, I didn't get to go and wear those things. Ricky got those things. Uh, there's always a Ricky. Maybe you were the Ricky in your, you know, the perfect hair. Anyway, he got it. I did get Converse. They were low top green somethings. Anyway, uh, that's fine. Here's my point. I was convinced that those things would give me purpose and value. Now, we laugh at it as adults, but so many times when it comes to the conversation about gifts, we revert to becoming junior highs. And we think that if we get that gift and it looks like that and it's that style, then God's going to like me more. Or I'm going to have more influence or I'll be loved more. Or my identity will be built up more. And we literally revert to something that has nothing to do with the gifts. And the reason why I chose that image this morning is because the gifts we're going to talk about in the power cluster today have been profoundly misused and profoundly missought after because people have misidentified their role. So today we're going to talk about tongues. We're going to talk about interpretation of tongues, and we're going to talk about intercession. Now, last week when we started, or the last few weeks, we started talking about power gifts. Some of you were so excited. You're like, this is amazing. Finally, we're getting to the good stuff. We're going to do all the really amazing stuff. Others, you're like, oh my goodness, no, I left a crazy church, and I came to here to escape, and now you're talking about this stuff. And I want to say, no matter who you are, where you come from, I need, again, everyone to be very open, to lay down ideas, hopes, histories. Uh, be very loose with the secondary theological view you hold, expectation, fear. For some of us, this conversation is about control and embarrassment, but we all need to lay down our good and bad experiences we've had in this church and other churches and just let the scriptures speak and let God bring some healing and some clarification. So we're going to start with tongues, and I'd like to read two different definitions written by two different authors. One wrote, tongues is speaking a message in an unknown tongue, a spontaneous utterance from God in unknown words. Another wrote, this gift is to speak, worship, or pray in a language unknown to the speaker. I prefer to the second. It's more encompassing. Now, there's an accompanying gift called interpretation. 
And here's how one person wrote it. This is the ability to spontaneously respond to a giving of an authoritative message in tongues by interpreting this word and clearly communicating the message given. Now, the first time we see the gift of tongues in the, in the New Testament is in the book of Acts when the church actually is born, the very first day, our birthday. It says in Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separating and coming to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit <coughs> enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that we're hearing them speak in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked, another, asked each other, what does this mean? This is a fulfillment of Joel 2. This was predicted. And if you read all of Acts 2, it's amazing. There are 15 specific geographical areas mentioned and a language for each one of them. So God is using these Christians as he promised through the Old Testament and gives them the ability all at once to speak in languages that they do not know to begin the process of bringing back the world to God through Jesus by his people. Now that's pretty profound, but the thing that most of us miss is this. There's something deeper going on. There's a deeper grace here because all the way back in Genesis, when the human family shared one language, we rebelled against God just like Adam did, and we declared we did not need God, so we built a tower called Babel, and we declared we can pierce the heavens, and we can access God, and we don't need God, and God came down, and he shattered our unity by giving us multiple languages. Here's what's so profound. He did that, by the way, out of mercy, so he would not judge us completely. Now God, through the act of Pentecost, is beginning to form a new family that will have a new language and a new people found in Jesus Christ. So Acts 2 is the reverse of Babel. It's the first sign of the new heavens and the new earth. So in this case, the, case, in this case, the, the gift of tongues is a known group of languages, like Cantonese English. It is a known language. It is praise, but it is also proclamation. People heard the works of God in their own language, and then Peter stood up after all that took place, and he preached the very first Christian sermon, declared that Jesus was the Messiah. He lived, he died, he rose again, and 3,000 God-fearing Jews became followers of Jesus that day. See, that's the pattern, by the way, of Jesus. Signs, wonders, preaching, many are brought. Now, there are other accounts of tongues in Acts 10, Acts 11, and even in Acts 19, it says when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. Now, remember, we're trying today to understand this gift through other people's experiences. And this matters. Here's what one author wrote. In the book of Acts, the gift of tongues was given in several different times. In Acts 2, the men who received the gift of tongues spoke in recognizable languages. In Acts 10, either the gift was a recognizable language or Peter and his friends received interpretation because they heard them glorifying God. In Acts 19, we're unsure if the tongues was understood or not. Now, in each of the above incidents concerning tongues, the primary purpose of this gift was to authenticate new segments of people being added to the church as God was endorsing them through this gift. So the expression of tongues was God using this gift as a sign of unity. So watch this. So you had Jews, Hebraic Jews who didn't like Greek Jews, and suddenly they both accept Jesus and speak in tongues, and they go, oh my goodness, the spirit in me is the spirit in you. We must be brothers and sisters. Then more shockingly, it says that this happened to Samaritans, those that the Jews hated, and they could no longer debate, we're now brother and sister, because you're speaking in tongues, and I'm 
I'm speaking in tongues, so we must be brothers and sisters. Well, it even get more weird and more wild when Romans and Greeks start doing the same thing. So God uses the gift of tongues to speak about Jesus, to worship God, to express deep things, and to authenticate the unity of the new humanity, the reverse of Babel. Now, we need to stop right here, though, and work something out. If you've done church for a while, I know some of you have, We need to address two major teachings that are out there that have caused not only controversy, but incredible pain. The first teaching is this. All Christians, if they ask hard enough, can have the gift of tongues. Just pray more and you'll get it. The other teaching is all true Christians must speak in tongues because it is the first and only sign in you and others that Jesus has given you his spirit. Now, many good and honest Christians, maybe some of you hold this, but it is not rooted in the whole counsel of God. And these ideas have broken many people. Many of you have doubted your salvation because of teaching like this. You have felt like a second-class citizen. And the truth is, as I've sat with many of you, many of you have faked tongues to fit in. And that needs to end really right now. As we've learned week in and week out, God sovereignly assigns the gifts. And none of us are called to have all the gifts. And none of us are all called to share one gift. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4 say the same thing time and time again. We share God's spirit together, yes. We are called to have the fruit of the spirit, yes, together, that's true. We together collectively will have all the gifts, yes. But he's the one who chooses who gets what and when. So here's the critical thing we need to recover. It's not the gift of tongues that shows you're in. By the way, Billy Graham never spoke in tongues. I think he was in. So... What authenticates you when you're in? Oh, here's the answer. You've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, placed your trust in him, and he has given you his spirit. Tongues is not the evidence, the confession of Jesus is. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. And he lists a group, and here's one, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues. Notice, not to all, to another. Own still to another group or person interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one same Holy Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So God gives the gifts, and we all have different gifts. So in other words, here's some relief for some of you. Don't feel the pressure to do something God himself in his sovereignty has not asked you to do. And for others of you, you need to repent because you've put inappropriate expectations on people in your community to do something that the Holy Spirit has not requested. But there's more. Paul and Luke use different words to describe the experience or gift of tongues, which help us understand the diversity of this gift. When Paul mentions gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, did you notice? He calls it the kinds of tongues. That's translating Greek, offspring, family, stock, race, sort, or species. But Paul uses a figure of speech, which can mean anything spoken from your tongue. In Acts 2, The word for tongues means known, recognizable language. Hindi is an example. It's a language. But in the other accounts in Acts, Luke never uses that word. The word he uses just describes the process of explaining something to someone who does not understand what's being said. So the point is, as we're about to find out, there are different kinds of tongues and different expressions of this gift, and even the language Luke and Paul uses shows this. So you got a Bible today, I'd love you to turn, virtual, physical, doesn't matter, to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul is teaching a church to use gifts right. Never forget, Paul is dealing with a church that has the right gift, but is using it the wrong way. Let me just say this again. You can use the gifts of the Spirit wrong. Now, Paul's dealing with public worship, edification that's being encouraging, intelligibility, understanding, and love. 
And he says this in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, notice right up front, what does Paul say? Oh, we're going to have a conversation about gifts. Great. Let's start with love again. Let's start with character again. Let's start about the, talk about the way of love. Oh, what's that? Right. 1 Corinthians 13, the most amazing summary of love in all of human history. Focus on that before any supernatural thing you get. Gifts are amazing, gifts are God-given, but without ever growing character, you will misuse them or you will be discredited even though God is working through you because see, people will see your brokenness before they see the work of God in you. Now anyone, verse 2, who speaks in tongues does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Okay, four things we learn if you're taking notes. One, tongues is a person speaking to God, not to others. And it's by the Holy Spirit. Two, it's mysterious. It lies outside of understanding. In other words, the speaker will not even know what they're saying. Third, when this thing happens, the person who's speaking is edified, encouraged. This is not about ego. This is not about being in. This is not about being self-centered. It is a person being built up through private praise, thanksgiving, or prayer. And fourthly, tongues can be but does not need to be a human language. Some argue it must be a known language, but just keep reading and reflecting. If you read all of 1 Corinthians 14, it says people will not understand what you're saying at all. And it does say in 1 Corinthians 13:1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, trust me, they're not speaking English upstairs. So there's more going on here than meets the eye. I love when one person wrote this. Some have objected to speaking in tongues must always consist of a known human language since that's what happened at Pentecost, Acts 2. But the fact that speaking in tongues occurred in a known human language only once in Scripture does not require that it always happens in a known language, especially when the other description of speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, well, says the exact opposite. Paul does not say that the foreign visitors to the church in Corinth will understand the speaker. He will say when someone speaks in tongues, no one will understand, and the outsider will have no clue what they're saying. In fact, Paul explicitly says the opposite of the phenomena of Pentecost will happen in the ordinary conduct of a church's life. He says if all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, they will not understand the message. They'll think you're mad. Moreover, we must realize that 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul's general instruction based on a wide experience now of tongue speaking in many churches. Acts 2 describes a unique event in the turning point of history. In other words, here, thinking caps on, Acts 2 is historical narrative. 1 Corinthians 14 is doctrinal instruction. Therefore, it's appropriate to take 1 Corinthians 14 as the passage that closely describes the ordinary experience of New Testament churches and the standard by which Paul wants us to live. So he keeps going in verse 4 and he says this, anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies, which we'll talk about next week, edifies the church. Now, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be edified. Again, this is about what is best for the church in a worship gathering. Yet we do learn more things here. Number one, many people have used these verses to argue, see, everyone can speak in tongues. No. 1 Corinthians 12 makes that true, and also Paul's language. Notice it. He says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. I'd like that you all could break it in tongues. Not that you will, you can, or you must. Paul's point here is prophecy, which is understood by all, is better and is God's will for corporate gatherings. So if you do speak in tongues in a small group or a worship gathering, it needs to be interpreted, in this example, by another, so everyone can understand what you're saying. 
The concern is not about tongues or not. It's about understanding or building an encouraging versus a non-encouraging environment. Now, brothers and sisters, he says, if, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you a, a revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or word of instruction? That's teaching, what I'm doing right now. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction between all the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, will you get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking there. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me, so it is with all of you. So since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the whole church. Again, Paul is not saying that tongues is wrong. But what he is saying is this. It's not really helpful in public. You will not build up. You will not help anyone if you use these gifts of tongues because you are misplacing the gift. By using tongues in public, you will alienate, ready, both Christians, seekers, and skeptics. So the question is this. What is more important to you, your personal moment with Jesus or all of us trying to get close to him together? That's why he says, excel in the gifts that build up the whole church. And then he says, verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Now notice this again. He gives an out. If you speak in tongues in public and it's interpreted, all good. Why? Because now everyone around you is going to be understanding what's going on. Now before he said, if you speak in tongues, someone else should interpret. In verse 13, he says, if you speak in tongues, you can interpret. Does that mean everyone who has tongues can interpret? No. Remember what we're talking about. There's two gifts. Paul says, if someone speaks in tongues, someone else might have the gift of interpretation, and they should stand up and interpret. He's also saying, maybe you will have the gift of tongues, and you also will have the gift of interpretation. Both are options. If they're there, use them. But here's the thing you don't, shouldn't miss. It's not guaranteed, though, that interpretation is in the room in the moment. So Paul keeps going and begins to flesh this out. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. My mind, well, it's unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. I'm going to also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit. I will also sing with my understanding. So if you speak in tongues, he says, if this happens to you, you'll know God is being praised and thanked, or you're praying into a situation. Maybe you don't have the words for it, but you will not fully understand what you're saying, and that's just fine. You'll be moved, changed, you'll know the presence of God. So, if you got tongues, good, he says. Break on out, pray in tongues. But when you're with others, pray, for the, pray in a language everyone else understands around you so we can all say amen. The, the point here is, for you who have tongues, it's not either or, it's both and. In other words, what he's saying is, depending on where you are, pray in different ways. The same with singing. Some people who have the gift of tongues sing in tongues. He's like, fantastic, break on out. But when you gather together, let's use a language we all commonly speak so we can say amen together. When I pray and praise in a known language, I do it, why? For the sake of others. Do you see the humility? Do you see the willingness to serve the whole community over you in your little Jesus moment? Otherwise, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they have no clue what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough. In other words, Paul's saying what you're doing is true, but no one else is what? Edified. 
I've been in so many Pentecostal communities who I love. I, they're my brothers and sisters. And it's that moment and everyone breaks out in tongues and I just want to stand up and yell, someone translate. I just want to say amen with the rest of you. I'm not upset you're speaking to, just let me say amen. Anyone? Bueller? Bueller. Interpretation. Anywhere? Not here. So this is not saying that tongues in public is wrong. It says tongues in public without interpretation becomes wrong. If tongues is interpreted, we can all agree and say, oh, that's amazing, God is working. I can say, oh, that's what you're praying for. That's what you're thanking God for. That's what you're praying about, amen. Tongues, though, tends to be person-centric, where prophecy and teaching tends to be community-centered. Paul's point is, if you're not giving the opportunity for an amen, you're starting to sin. I think God, now I love this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Mic drop, okay? But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others, to teach others, than 10,000 words in tongues. Whoa. Oh, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. Uh, in your thinking, though, be an adult. As it's written in the Old Testament, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, for not for believers, but unbelievers. Prophecy is not for unbelievers, for believers. So if the whole church comes together, and everyone's speaking in tongues, and an inquirer or a skeptic, an unbeliever comes in, will they not say you're all cray-cray, you're out of your mind? If an unbeliever and inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, oh, then they'll be convicted of sin, they'll be brought under the judgment of all, and the secrets of their hearts will be laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among all of you. So I read this, and I think we all need to read this really carefully. There's an incredibly scary moment in this passage that most people never preach and they miss, and it's the weird reference to the Old Testament. Here's how one person works it out. Because tongues are unintelligible, unbelievers, when tongues are spoken, receive no revelation from God. They cannot not be brought to faith by tongues. Thus, their response to seeing the genuine work of the Spirit as craziness and madness, they are now destined for divine judgment as the Old Testament passage Paul quotes. This, of course, is not God's intent for such people. So Paul's urgency in the Corinthian case and in our case is this. Think like children. Stop, stop acting like children. Stop using tongues in public. Because actually, when you're doing it without interpretation, you are literally driving unbelievers to hell. When's the last time you heard that preached? The misuse of tongues in public can cause the skeptic or the seeker to actually miss the Holy Spirit's person he's revealing, Jesus. So you're having a great moment, and it's genuinely from the Spirit, but your moment is isolating someone in our community who does not know Jesus yet. Whoa. See, one of our core values in this church we've held for years is we always welcome, and we're all speaking to two audiences, those who believe and those who don't. So then you're like, well, I suppose I can never speak in tongues in public. No, no, Paul keeps going. He says, if anyone speaks in tongues, okay, two or three at most should speak one at a time, and someone needs to what? Interpret. Now, you learn three more things from this little verse. Number one, tongues should not dominate a worship service, though it's not wrong. Number two, it should be done in some type of order because in their old pagan environments, there was no control of any sort. And third of all, once again, Paul says, tongues are fine, just interpret. So it's not wrong to speak in tongues in public because if you actually never speak in tongues in public, 
How would anyone else know if they have the gift of interpretation? You got to do it to see it. That was the problem in this church for years. We believed in all the gifts, but then we actually had to do them to see if they were there. That's the scary moment. But if tongues is happening and there's no interpretation and you keep going, that's when it becomes sin. Because I can't say amen, the seeker thinks you're crazy, and God is no longer honored. That's why Paul says in verse 28, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to himself and speak to God. So if you speak in tongues, uh, great. If, the, if you don't have the gift of interpretation, or someone else doesn't have the gift of interpretation, don't speak in tongues out loud or don't keep going if there's no interpretation after you've spoken. And then if it's done, great. Go privately before God. Go in your car. Sing in tongues in the shower. At the end of a service by yourself. All, no problem. But make sure you're aware of who's around you. Let me give you some great examples. My, my father's mother, my, my grandmother, uh, first generation Christian, uh, came from a difficult background, lots of stuff going on with her, and it, it, we would say, my dad and I would say, emotionally not well for a lot of her life, cold. And uh, interestingly, I mean, that had effects on the extended family for sure. That's an understatement. But what's so interesting in the conversation, uh, midway through her life, uh, she experienced uh, tongues. Um, she wasn't in a church that talked about it, but she, she was given tongues. Now, my grandfather was livid uh, when she, she got tongues because he thought it was all from the devil or psychological, and so that got interesting in the marriage for a bit, um, uh, but then realized it was genuine. And years later, after my dad and I were processing this, um, and we talked about this, we were wondering what, why this, and it, it became so clear to me. Uh, my, my, my grandmother um, was not whole on this side of heaven. And so uh, I believe because my grandmother was profoundly loved by God because that was his daughter, that the Holy Spirit gave my grandmother the gift of tongues to be able to pray and speak to him in a way that she would never have the ability to because of all the stuff in her life. A, a, a lifetime of counseling probably wouldn't have solved a lot of it. But that moment gave her access to God in a way that is... See, that's love. And that's profound and that's edification. And that's a beautiful example. Now, in our own community, we've had multiple, multiple experiences of people speaking in tongues at C4. You might be shocked by that because you don't usually see it on a Sunday morning, but we've had many times in small groups and large gatherings, and let me tell you one of the most memorable ones. Uh, it was a few years ago. Chris Vashi had just joined our staff. That's where it marks in my mind, and we had a young adult gathering, and I wasn't the young adult pastor, but I, I was part of a worship service. We invited the morning community. We were only one service, one site at that time. We all came in the evening. It was a big worship gathering, and it was just extended worship, beautiful time, great time, and I was sitting over here, and clear as day, the Holy Spirit says, someone's supposed to speak in tongues, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 uh, I, no, yes, yes, no, no, you can hear the internal dialogue, so I, I got up, and I, I walked onto the stage, and I had the mic, and I said, listen, I, I have this just overwhelming sense that someone feels like they're supposed to speak in tongues, well, right when I said that, everyone was like, oh, you know, what, oh, what's going to happen, and uh, a good friend of mine, Kate Sweet Underhill, now is part of a church plan in Whitby, was sitting in the front row, and I remember her just sheepishly looking at me, and she raised her hand like a Baptist, not like a Pentecostal, sort of like right here, uh, and, and, I, and I was like, oh, man, so I said, well, um, would, you, would you come up on the stage? So she came up on the stage, and everyone's really nervous now, and I had the mic, and I said, would you speak in tongues into the mic? And I was like, oh, God, mercy, what am I doing? Uh, and so she, was, she said, yeah, and she spoke 25 seconds, maybe that, 
And so everyone was just like sitting there, and I was sitting there. I said, so does anyone have an interpretation? One, two, three, four hands went up. So we had them there, by the way, men, women, uh, some of them older, young adults, teenagers, the whole spectrum. We divided them all out so they couldn't talk to each other. Here's the amazing thing. Every single one of them had the same interpretation. And so we shared it, and guess what happened? Everyone clapped, and it was a profound moment, and God spoke. And we're like, oh, God is real. Wow, isn't that great? Um, and, and, and then guess what we did? We moved on with the service. You know, we just got to normalize the weird. It is what it is. And we moved on, and that's a profound moment. And so let me just help you. If you have the gift of tongues, one of the best places you can try practicing that in public is in your connect group. Some of you are like, oh, no, not in my connect group. Breathe. <laughs> Um, because here's what's a critical thing. We need to learn how to do this well, but let me give you some examples. Number one, could you maybe ask, may I speak in tongues versus I'm going to? Because remember, you don't own the gift. It's the Holy Spirit's gift, not yours. Uh, Number two, the reason why you'd want to do it is to see if someone has the gift of interpretation in your group. Uh, If there is no interpretation, then you've learned your lesson and it's all good. So we can't let fear win in our church, nor can we let other things win in our church. But tongues is a profound thing personally, and tongues is a profound thing corporately. So that's tongues, that's interpretation of tongues. Now, let me move to intercession. Intercession is a unique gift of prayer, not listed in the formal uh, scriptural list, but inferred all through the scriptures. Here's the best definition I've got. The gift of intercession is that special ability to pray for extended periods of time on a regular basis and to see frequent and specific answers to prayers to a degree much greater than which is expected of the average Christian. Now, we're all called, by the way, to pray. Remember, we talked about week one and two, gift versus discipline. Every one of us is called to pray, and all of us are called to intercede. Intercession means what? To stand in the gap. Richard Foster, in his really famous book, Prayer, which, by the way, you all should read, has an amazing moment where he describes the discipline of intercession. He says, we move, when we move from petition to intercession, we're shifting our center of gravity from our own needs to the needs and concerns of other people. Intercessory prayer is selfless prayer, self-giving prayer. It is priestly ministry, and one of the most challenging teachings in the New Testament is the universal priesthood of all Christians. As priests anointed and appointed by God, that is, we who have access to God, we have the honor of going before the Most High God on behalf of others. This is not optional, by the way. This is a sacred obligation a precious privilege of all who take up the yoke of Christ. So we have access to God like no one else does on earth because we can, through Jesus, go to the Father and pray about anything. Other people can't do that, but we can. But that's discipline. But then there are others who have the spiritual gift of intercession. And here's the example I've used for years how I, I sort of run into it. You say to someone who has the gift of intercession, most people who have intercession do not know it's a spiritual gift, by the way. You're saying, yeah, how is your devotion life? They're like, well, it was a really bad week. You know, I only wrote in my prayer journal five or six times this week, and I only prayed two hours yesterday and 40 minutes yesterday. It was a busy day. And you're sitting there like, well, I think I said the Lord's Prayer and blessed the food, maybe. And so then they look back, smiling at you, and go, oh, that's great. And how's your prayer life? And you're like, I said the Lord's Prayer. And they're like, and? I said, Amen. And right in that moment, if the intercession person does not know a gift, it's a gift, they'll judge you and say, what is wrong with your spiritual life? See, this is why this matters so very much. 
Because there are many of us, many people in our community who are supernaturally gifted by the Spirit to pray. Now, years ago when this sort of came on our radar, I thought that all the intercessors would like, to, like each other because they were all gifted the same. So I put them in a room and they all fought with each other worse. So let me tell you about my learning, learnings and why this matters. Uh, one author years ago divided them into certain groups. Here's my way uh, of talking about it. If you have the gift of intercession, it probably goes in one of three directions. You're either a phone book person, a crisis person, or an assignment person. So let me describe this. Number one, the phone book people among us are the people where you literally give them 400 names to pray and they're like in heaven. They're like, mm, just give me all sorts of lists. You know, if you grew up in church, we used to have bulletins with lists on the back. The prayer person would just be like, give me the list. I want to pray for every elder, every pastor, every person who's sick. You list, you just list, list. I'm like, I want to die. I want to die. Get me out of the room. They're like, mm, Jesus is so close. I'm like, is he even in the room? Oh, he's so close. Now, um, my mom has this gift. And, and it's amazing. And literally, you, you can give her lists of people, and she just will pray and pray and pray. And there's a joy and an energy behind it and a discipline also, but a joy to it. And I'm just like, oh, I just, I, wow, I'm really glad you're gifted that way. Now, the second group of people have the exact same gift, are totally different. They're the prompting people or the crisis people. They're the ones who are walking through life, and the like, Holy Spirit will say, pray about this now, and they just got to pray about it till it's done. So you, you're hanging out with them, and you're washing the dishes, and they're just like, everything's fine. Then they're like, mm. And you're like, you okay? You're like, I need to pray right now. What do you need to pray about? I need to pray for Nepal. Nepal, now, woo-doo, the break under, you're like, what? I'm just watching, what the heaven's going on? I just, right? and they're like, and I'm done. You're like, what, what just happened? And, you're, and, and if you talk to these people, they will tell you, it's just like the Holy Spirit prompts them, pray for this pastor, pray for this leader, pray for this country, pray for this church. It's never rhythmed, it's never ordered in the same direction, and this happens to them all the time. Now, the third group of people are assignment people. And the assignment people are given an assignment for a long season or a lifetime. Like a nation, like some, I've met people who are assigned by the Holy Spirit to pray for the church in China and pray for the nation of China. And they they talk that way. I talk to other people who are assigned to churches or, or people. Now, by the way, again, for you who grew up in church, this is why the famous Wednesday night prayer meeting died in the church. Because it was run by phone book people and only phone book people. And when the crisis people showed up, they didn't care about the phone book because they're like, aren't you listening to the Spirit? And the phone book people are like, what are you talking about? I've got my list. And they're like, well, what's wrong with you? Don't you know the Spirit's speaking in unique ways? They're like, I've got my phone book, thank you. And the prompting person's like, well, I'm listening to the Spirit. And the assignment person says, I don't care about any of you. I'm praying for China. I'm leaving. So <laughs> when you realize the different threads of intercession, you can build unity in the church. This really matters. It really, really matters. Now, one of uh, the most obvious experiences of assignment is in my own life. When I became the youth pastor in this church at 22, 23 years old, um, there was a woman in our church who I met. Now, she had, has an incredible narrative. She grew up in Nazi Germany as a German, as a child, lived through the fall of Berlin, um, had an encounter with Jesus in a Lutheran youth group, 120, 130 teenagers meeting Jesus, uh, post-Nazi, like incredible, lived around the world, and joined our church when we were called Steeple Hill years ago. And the story was told, the first day she joined our church, she went in the front row and she raised her hands during worship. This is probably in the late 80s. She was removed by the ushers and taken to the back because she was a distraction. Things have changed thank God. Um, and and uh, anyway, she, she's been a prayer person, but uh, she was a volunteer in the youth ministry that I took over, and I was going to change everything and change the world, and she didn't appreciate all my changes, so she dragged me in front of the senior pastor and told him why I probably wasn't a great hire and why everything I was doing was wrong. 
great, great start to our relationship. And um, so we were having this conversation, and after she left, uh, a, a few days or weeks later, the Holy Spirit came very close to her and said, just so you know, Crystal, uh, the young man that you don't really appreciate so much, he's your assignment until you die. And so she met with me, and we got to know each other, and we had no language for this. Here's the amazing thing. I've prayed for 20 years almost every week with Crystal Flogo. And when you speak to her, and she's, she's upset I'm even mentioning her name, but when, when you speak to her, here's what goes down. She will tell you that she has an assignment from Jesus to pray for me, then I got married, my wife, then my kids, and my ministry. Now, she's not my accountability partner. She doesn't know every deep, dark secret most of the time, even though I will say she's very scary to pray around because every time, like, I'll tell her, like, sometimes we've been in deliverance ministry stuff, and I've been like, I'm feeling really prideful. She's like, yeah, I know, I'm praying about that. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm like, I'm feeling very tempted by lust. She's like, yeah, I'm covering that already. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna stand right here. You can keep praying. But the point is this. You've talked to her. She is assigned, and she'll tell you till her death. And we have seen time and time again, when I teach at a seminary, she sits in the back of the classroom, gives up a whole week and prays for the students and prays for me. When I'm preaching overseas or in other environments, she's praying along with me. And when I'll come back, she'll say, hey, listen, I don't know what's happening, but when you were actually speaking at Breakforth a few months ago, and at this moment in time, what was happening? She said, I was in my garden. The Holy Spirit said this. Bang on every time. So you've got crisis. You've got you've got assignment, you've got phone book, and then you've got the rest of us who are like, oh God, just help us to pray. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Here's why. Because we not only open to all the gifts of the Spirit, we want all the gifts of the Spirit in our church. They're already here. And what we want to do is we want to continually create an environment that is healthy, biblical, and yet open. And so if you have the gift of tongues this morning, we're so glad you're part of us. And here's what you need to do. Like at the end of this service, like we've been doing week in and week out, you need to come forward. There's going to be pastors and elders here, and we want to pray over you, and we want to affirm that that's from the Lord. But here's the big thing we want to pray for you. We want to pray for the way of love in your life first. We also want you maybe to come forward and repent. If you have the gift of tongues, and you've misused it for your own selfish purposes, or for your own identity, or you've actually had the view that others need to do it, and you've taught wrong, you need to come and repent. Maybe some of you, this happened in the service before, maybe you need to come forward because actually you've been hurt by an environment that misused tongues. They write sincerity, wrong action. And because of that, you've been afraid of tongues or angry about the whole thing and you're sort of defensive. Well, you need to come forward and we need to pray that you can forgive sincere Christians who got it wrong. Maybe you need to come forward and repent because you're like, no, I didn't think any of that was true and I realize it is and I need to repent of that. Others of you just need to come forward because you have the interpretation gift. When you hear tongues, suddenly in your mind, you you see scripture, an image, or you understand what they're saying. You need to come forward and dedicate that to you, to to the Lord. Others of you have the gift of intercession, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm the phone book person. Great. Or you're like, I'm the crisis person. The Holy Spirit prompts me. Three o'clock in the morning or the middle of the afternoon or while I'm walking my kids, this happens. Remember, we all get prompted in our lifetime, but it happens to you again and again and again and again. Others of you have assignments and you need to come dedicate those. But whoever you are, or no matter where you are, no matter what site you're at, you need to come forward so we can pray over these gifts. But like we've been saying every week, because we're building week in and week out, if you also haven't come forward for the other spiritual gifts, we'd love you to do that. So, so far we've dealt with administration, the spiritual gift of administration, helps, mercy, giving, teaching, exhortation, that's encouragement. 
Apostleship, leadership, shepherding, pastoring, evangelism, faith, discernment of spirits, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and intercession. So if you have any of those and you've not come forward, at the end of the service, we want to pray over you. So would you stand with me as we take a moment again uh, to pray together? Number one, Lord, as we keep saying every week, thank you not one of us is an orphan because we have the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father and Son, that you sent your Spirit to bind us together to give us hope, resurrection power, the ability to say no to sin. But, but deeper than that, at this moment, Lord, here's what we want to pray. We pray for every person who speaks in tongues in our church. Thank you for them. Thanks for their gift that you've assigned them. And we're going to pray this right now in Jesus' name. Would you uh, grow that gift in them? Would their personal prayer times in tongues grow exponentially? Singing and praying. Uh, Lord, those who have been hurt, would you begin to work this out? Would you also begin to provide in moments in our community where tongues is spoken and translated so we'll know the Lord is among us? Uh, we pray for people to, who have the gift of interpretation who do not know yet, that you would work out a scenario so they would know. And lastly, we pray for all those who have intercession, that you would grow their prayer life, that you teach them not to judge those who do not have the gift, and there'd be new power in their prayer life. And for the rest of us, we just pray, Lord, teach us to pray. But would you just come in continual great power right across C4, strengthen the church, grow the church in character and in gift. We pray this in the name of God the Father who calls us, the name of God the Son who died for us and rose for us and prays for us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who himself is in us and gives us this character and gifts. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.